Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. It's an August afternoon. It's still hot. We're waiting for a monsoon rain in Utah. Um, Wherever you live, we haven't had a good rain in Utah for a while. And on our podcast today are my friends Becky and Scott McIntosh and their son, Sean. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We'll try to keep track of the male voices here. So I'm the host, Richard Osler. Sean, why don't you say hello and let people get used to your voice? Hello. This is my voice. That's perfect, Sean. <laughs> You're next, Scott. All right. Yep. My voice is a little different. <laughs> and Becky, we're going to keep track of your voice the whole time. Yeah, I hope I don't sound too annoying. <laughs> And um, just by way of introduction, I'm going to get you all to pull the mics a little closer to you. Um, The McIntosh family is a family, when I served as a YSA bishop and wanted to understand um, a couple gay men that I had stewardship responsibility, I became quickly connected to the McIntosh family and um, their story of supporting their gay son, Sean, who's here on the podcast with us. And it was just the kind of content I needed as I wanted to be an active LDS member and also support my LGBTQ members and people in my life, those that stayed within the doctrine of the church. And also I needed a framework to process those that chose to step away. And Sean is here. Sean is in a same-sex marriage, was married about 10 days ago. Congratulations, Sean. Thank you so much. And the McIntosh family has been navigating that road and it's a very helpful framework. So I, um, I pray that as you listeners are listening, local leaders, parents, LGBTQ, that you will um, have insights based on the things the McIntoshes are sharing that will help you in your family, help you in your wards, help you just to keep the family circle together and use the doctrine of Christ to do that. That's one of the things I've really sensed the McIntosh family is doing. They're not making up doctrine or they are using the doctrine of Christ and the doctrine of our church to keep the family circle together. Sean offered a wonderful prayer before we started. Thank you, Sean. There's a wonderful spirit as you prayed. And um, that's kind of my introduction. But let's start with just the Macintosh parents. Um, introduce Becky. We always ask the moms. My wife is better at introducing our family than I am. Tell us how many kids you have, grandkids, where you live, and kind of where you raised your family. Just introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, so we have seven children. And Sean is number three in the of uh, our seven. Uh, we have three boys and four daughters. Uh, we live in Lehigh. And um, Scott and I have known each other pretty much all our lives. Um, I moved from Montana to Salt Lake City in third grade and just down the street from Scott. So we have known each other since I was eight and he was 10. Um, I didn't know that. That's yeah. great. <laughs> A long time because we're old. Um, our, our family story is on the church's website, the Mormon and gay dot church. What do they call it now? Church of Jesus org. Exactly. And, um, when they approached us to do that, share our story, when I reached out to Sean and let him know that, that the church asked if we'd be open to share our story, he, he, his first response was why they want to use me as the bad example. Um, that no, <laughs> absolutely not. They want, they're having a lot of people reach out and say, Hey, um, how do we respond when, you know, our son or daughter is stepping away from the church? All the examples on the, the website is they're wonderful. 
examples, but they're all, you know, active and staying in the church. So how do we respond when our son or daughter is stepping away from the, from the church and in a relationship? And so they want to share our story. This is how you respond. You love and you include. Just as before, things shouldn't change. You love and include. And he said, wow, yeah, I could see how that would be really helpful. So I'm, I'm grateful for his openness to, to be able to, sh to share his story. And I thought the church did a really good job at keeping it the real and raw. And yeah. I love that video. It's something I've shared in almost every presentation as I've gone around in church events or in things that I just kind of initiate. Your video is something that's part of every presentation. Um, I can almost, I think I've almost memorized some of the <laughs> phrases in there, Scott and Becky and Sean. Um, I want to come back to Scott, but I want to have Sean, will you introduce yourself to our listeners? Um, I, I know you served a mission and professionally you've got a social work degree, um, but just kind of introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah. Um, so my name is Sean McIntosh. I live in North Salt Lake. I went to BYU-Hawaii for my undergraduate, and then I went to University of Hawaii for my graduate in social work mental health. Um, I was doing that in Hawaii, but then when I moved back to Utah, um, I've actually been doing insurance at the moment. So I sell home and auto insurance, and I work from home. And like you mentioned earlier, I got married to an amazing guy named Carson uh, 10 days ago, and he's from Utah. He's from Holiday Area. And we have a home in North Salt Lake and our dogs. And I'm a beekeeper, so we have bees, we have chickens, and it's just a, a fun fun time. That's great. I didn't know you were a bee guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what kind, tell us about bees for just a second, Sean. So I just got into them about two years ago. So I, I have four hives, and then in the fall I, I harvest the honey. Last year was my first year, so I didn't get a ton. I got probably like 25 jars, but this year I'll – I'll probably get around 300, 400 pounds of honey. Wow. So it's amazing. Do you sell it? Do you give it to friends? I just give do it to... Do you just eat I, I do eat a lot long? of I do eat a lot of honey, but I give it to mostly friends and family. Uh, this, like I said, this year I'll have tons, so that's probably what I'll do. A lot of people say I should sell, but it sounds like a lot more work than I really want to And do you get that. stung very often? I, I do, um, <laughs> but it's usually because I'm stupid. Um, I have veils and I have all the gear, but sometimes I'm just, I don't want to go inside to put it on and I'll have a quick peek and that's how I get stung. But I, I do get stung quite a bit. <laughs> Share with us your journey. When did you become aware um whatever label you took on at the time, just share with our listeners your journey to come to terms with your sexual orientation and then coming out to your parents. All right. So, I mean, I guess I could say since my childhood, I've noticed that I had this attraction. and I, But I also noticed that it was something that I felt like, not that I even knew that it was bad at that point, but I, I felt like society kind of I had just didn't see it. I had never saw it. And so I felt like I was the only one who was like that. So something I kept quiet. Um, and then as I got older, it got more stressful, but I continued to keep that to myself because I didn't want anyone to know. Um, I also, just like many LGBT people who are raised in the church, felt like if I, if I just did this, that maybe it would be taken away. Um, because I didn't want those feelings because I, I knew that they didn't align with what I was being taught. And so I, I, 
definitely prayed a lot about that and, and fasted and I got my duty to God, my Eagle Scout, went on the mission, did all these things, almost like a checklist. Share with our listeners and listen, I mentioned it earlier where you served on your mission. Detroit. Yep. So I went to Detroit, Michigan, um, served two years. It was, it was great experience for me. I really grew up a lot from that. And I, really that one, I felt like when I came home, I was just going to, I wouldn't feel or be gay anymore. I thought, because the next step after that is is marrying someone. And so I had never really needed to face the fact that I was gay either. It was, it was kind of okay because I didn't really have to face it until after my mission. And it was after my mission when it hit me and I realized that, okay, I've done all these things. I've prayed, I've fasted, I've done everything I can and I still feel this way. And that's when I guess reality hit and I maybe became a little depressed with that idea of keeping it all internal to myself and also not knowing really what I was supposed to do. Um, it was a few years later when I came out to my parents, which was at the age of 24. Um, and originally I thought I would never come out to them. I just didn't want to do that to them. Honestly, I didn't, I felt like it would just hurt them so much and they were amazing parents, and I didn't want to do that to them. And so I'd rather almost, I knew I could deal with it myself because I always had. So I wanted to do that. But then it came to a point where, like I mentioned earlier, I was living in Hawaii. And so when I would come to Utah, which was fairly rare, probably once or twice a year, um, Christmas, maybe slightly in the summer, in between breaks of internships, um, it would reality would hit and everyone in Utah would ask, well, who are you dating? When are you getting married? These serious questions. And it just became really stressful to me because at that point I felt like I was lying, which wasn't right either. And not that I felt like I was, I was lying to these people I, and my family and friends. And it made me feel bad that I, that I couldn't be honest with people. And so it, it was kind of at that point where I decided I, I'm going to tell them um, it's going to hurt them. But I, that's it's not good for me to be lying to them either um and so that's what i did so during that christmas break i i it's kind of an ironic way to do it but i wrote them in message on facebook um and the reason i did it that way is because i didn't want to see their reactions at the time because internally i i felt like they would be kind of scary reactions or not violent in any way, but just maybe say things that they might regret and things that as I was already in a very fragile state, I didn't want to be put on me. And so I told them that way. And I'm really glad that I did because I think there was a time for them to vent and to get things out and to process. And that wasn't, I mean, it wasn't much time. I talked to them probably just two hours later that same evening, um, but it gave them that buffer where we were then able to jump right into communicating what was happening. Scott, we haven't heard a great job, Sean, just sharing your story. You've got a great radio voice. If you decide to change careers from insurance or social work and just have a radio voice, you've got a great one. But I've been told I have a face for radio. <laughs> just share your um, thoughts on the whole story. Either pick up where Sean came out to you or just wherever you want to stop, start, Scott. Um, yeah, that was true. What, what he said, uh, that it was, it caught me off guard the way he came out. Um, I was very upset about it. Um, said all kinds of mean things, but only my wife heard and, um, just 
a lot of things about him not having the guts to face me and tell me to my, you know, to that type of thing. And, and probably in more, um, I don't know what's the words. Uh, anyway, yeah, more graphic detail. But anyway, uh, I just, I don't know. I just kind of went off about it. And then I called him immediately. I said, I, you know, because I'm this demanding father. And I says, I says, get home right now. And he says, I can't. I'm out visiting my friends. I'm leaving tomorrow morning and I'm, I'm saying goodbye to my friends. And I said, no, we need to talk. Get home right now. And he says, I can't. I'll see you when I get home, but I'll, I'll try to hurry. And I says, you know, and so I just, I was upset still. I mean, I, that, that's the only conversation we had. Was it text or was it? Well, because I was leaving to Hawaii the was next that, but was, I know, but was it on the phone or was it on text that we had that conversation? So mom called me and, I mean, you were there, but it was. Is that what it was? I, uh -huh. I, I thought you I You were remember, there with mom. I remember mom saying just get home. So Yeah, and she called me. Anyway, uh, but I. I drew, I grew tired and went to sleep. <laughs> I'm not going to let this ruin my sleep. Right. You know? So, um, anyway, so I went to bed and then, uh, uh, Becky, uh, woke me up at, at four in the morning, not on purpose. She just walked into the room and it woke me up, which isn't normal. I usually sleep through anything. And, uh, and there she was. And I, I woke up and I said, so what's going on? And I said, where have you been? She says, I was just talking to Sean. And I said, okay. And I says, how'd it go? And she says, it went well. And I said, all right. And so then I just kind of lay there for a minute, processed, and I, I get up and start to walk out of the room. And she says, where are you going? And I says, I'm going to talk to Sean. And so then that's when she said, um, please be nice. You know, be kind. Just just be kind. And so uh, I left and I went down to his room and, and he was, he had the door closed. And so I went and knocked on it and, and then he opened his, his door and, and there I stood and I just, I just opened my arms and, and gave him a hug wow. and, and told him I loved him. Uh, and then I didn't get a chance to really say anything because he broke the ice with saying something like, well, dad, you've, you've said some really mean things over the years. And I knew I had. To Sean in particular, just about LGBTQ people in general. Uh, the LGBT in general. Uh, probably him too. <laughs> <laughs> just normal but, parenting but just, stuff. No, yeah, just because okay. just, just that's who I was. I was just not a real man. <laughs> but anyway, no, mainly just the LGBTQ. Didn't understand it. Um, they they chose this uh, this life, and, and I just was not kind, you know. In, in my opinion, that was where I was headed. And so... Anyway, then he brought up a, a few other things that, you know, that were standout. And, and I agreed with him that I had said some really mean things. And, and then I just uh, kind of doused it by saying, hey, you know, let's get some sleep. Let's, let's talk. We'll talk later. And so it was two years later before we ever talked again. Um, we, I mean, we talked, but not about that. And so he went to school. He was in Hawaii and, and I was here. So as soon as he got as soon as he was gone, then I became very brave and I'd get behind my keypad on my computer and I'd send him all the letters that I, you know, had thought, you know, cause my, it's always in my thoughts. So, um, all the, I had all the answers. I was just trying to continually think, what can I do to fix this? And then, uh, I'd send him letter after letter and I'd send him articles and talks and, and, and whatever it be. And finally, one time he says, dad, I've, I've read all these talks. I've, I've heard all these, you know, he says, I know this is new to you, but I've been living this my whole life. And so um, I started to, you know, make a little more sense, even though I'd get a little um, angry with him. Uh, the thing that was that I want to send out to the listeners, um, if they're ever dealing with the same situation that I am, I know many fathers get angry and they get upset and, and do the things that I do um, and, and just fly off the handle. 
But the thing that always kept it in check, um, and it's a huge strong point in Sean's behalf, is that he we had to reverse roles a little bit. I had to be the kid, and he had to become the dad for a minute. And and he'd say, uh, Dad, why can't you just talk? You know, I just want to talk to you about this. I don't want this to get into a fight. I don't want all the yelling. I just, why can't you just talk? And he'd bring it back home. And he, and he never raised his voice, ever, uh, through the many years. He just doesn't. That's not him. He's not, a, he's not a mean person. He doesn't have an angry side. And so he has a frustrated side, but it's not, but it never comes out, out as anger. And so... Um, I just I just learned to just keep reeling it in every time he'd bring that up. And then I'd start to escalate and he'd reel me in again. And and I just if anybody's ever trying to get their point across, uh, it, you're never go- we'd still be fighting if he fought back. But uh, because he reeled it in, it just changed the whole atmosphere, the whole feeling in the room. And and it's just not fun to fight a person that doesn't fight back. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> ever done that. It's just not. So anyway, uh, that was the change. And so, I mean, there's a lot more to the story, obviously, of where I became, it's called my conversion story, right? Conversion to kindness. But it was it was later. I don't know if you want to get into that yet or that was enough of the story for now. It's That's so well said, Scott. And all of us dads um, appreciate your example of humility and and recognizing that sometimes we need to learn things that we have learned and unlearned and, and the humility to learn that from your own son. Um, sometimes we as dads are fix it and have the answers. And I just admire your humility. It's been a great example for me as I've been listening to this space. And I remember words on the more, on your video that were very helpful to me mm-hmm. as I just needed to deprogram. Um, if you've got other parents out there, what would you say are two or three myths or conce- or conclusions you had made that now you realize were not correct conclusions? Well, there's one huge one. Okay. And and the huge one was life-changing, and that was the whole turnaround. That, that made me go 180, degree, 180 degrees the other way, and that was um, when I realized he didn't choose it. I was so set in my mind that he had chosen this life. It had to have come from pornography. It had to have come from being around people that I wasn't aware he was around because I thought all of his friends were good, but he must have been around somebody else that was feeding him a bunch of garbage that, you know, was causing him to think like this. Um, And when I came to the realization, it was when I asked him um, one time in one of our conversations two years later, um, and I just said, after he came out to us, and it, and it was just one of those discussions. And I said, Sean, why would you choose this? Why? And that's when he just smiled and it just caught him off guard. He just thought that was so funny that I would even think that he chose it. And, and he said something that was so powerful. And he said, Dad, why would I choose to be in a group of people that's more misunderstood? And he did say that. I'm going to say this. Becky doesn't ever like me to say the truth. But he said more misunderstood and hated than any other group. He had felt hate and he had felt misunderstood and that was real to him. And I, and I thought maybe not everybody feels that, but he did. And that stood out to me because this son of mine was putting himself through college. I never paid a dime of his college education. And he not only put himself through college, but he's the only person in our family that has his master's degree. Uh, he's done great things. He graduated and, debt free. Yeah, and graduated wow. debt free. So I'm looking at this young man who I know is very smart. He he figures out life. He gets through it. And why would he choose 
that, you know, and when he explained it to me that way, that he, he was in a group of people that was misunderstood. And I just thought, oh my gosh, that somehow rocked my world. And I, I didn't about face. I, I just thought, you know, I mean, it probably wasn't immediate, but that was the very turning point of me thinking, okay, yeah, he didn't choose this. And I knew that it said on the church's website that, you know, I think it was, uh, uh, Dallin Oaks that said, although this is not a choice, was how he started his phrase. Um, and I thought, okay, I knew that it wasn't a choice. Why did I believe so strongly that he had chosen, even though I didn't believe other people had? And and Sean did surprise me when he came out. I didn't I didn't ever see it coming. Um, but I just I, I just thought, well, um, yeah, he, he didn't choose this. And so then was the turnaround because I thought not only did he not choose it, but my son was um, was bound by this his whole life, um, being a little bit different than what we consider the norm, and and I all I ever preached was the norm. So if he felt that he was different, he felt a lot of pain from me. It wasn't it wasn't just for everybody else. If he felt hate and misunderstood, it wasn't just from the world. It was from his father. And, and I knew all the jokes and I, and I told him all the jokes. And, and if he did anything that I thought was um, leaning that way at all, even if I didn't believe that he was leaning that way, I told him, I, I told him what I thought of that. And, and I, I was as harsh as anybody. I, when we talk about homophobic, I don't know that there's anybody out there that was ever, you know, worse than I was. I mean, it's a true story. And, and so he heard it, he, he felt it, he, he felt the anger, he felt the hatred, he felt it all from me. And, and that turning point just, I mean, that rocked me. It, it, it brings me to tears when I think about it now of the pain that I caused. Um, because I love my son, I love my family, and I don't want any of them to feel pain because of me, but yet unknowingly I did it. So... Well, you put tears in my eyes and a bunch of <laughs> listeners. So, how how do you feel when you hear your dad? Just give us your side of this story and how you're feeling about your dad and how you navigated this, Sean. I mean, it it makes me emotional now, even still hearing about it, because that's that's how it was. It just when I came out, I just was so worried about how it was going to affect our relationship, and I didn't want that. I didn't want to cause him pain. Um, and so when we went those two years with, I felt like it, it wasn't conflict, but it was almost discussion of him trying to talk me into doing what he felt like was right for me. And I was trying to help him understand where I was coming from. And it, it took two years of that. And when we kind of made this, this, or we got to this change of heart point where I felt like he was listening to me and I was listening to him and we were coming to an understanding. I mean, that felt, that felt amazing. I, I never for once doubted my love. Do you love. remember this dramatic moment? Yeah. Is it just as dramatic for you as it was yeah. for your dad? Yeah. I remember where we were. We were driving home from Wyoming. Um, Nevada. I mean, Nevada. Yeah. We were driving home from Nevada. And yeah, I remember. And I just am so thankful that that happened because there's so many LGBTQ individuals that don't have that experience where their parents come around or, or, or that, and they're still in that, that place. And it's not a great place to be in. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful for that. How do you feel about your father now? Oh, I love him. He's amazing. Yeah. They're both, my parents are incredible. 
Becky, give us your thoughts on this because you're walk, watching these two good men in your life, one you're married to and one you're, that's a son, and you're all navigating this road together. Share with us your thoughts. Yeah, I, I'm really happy with where we are now, and it, it has been a journey. And I have a, a book that's coming out um, just in a few more weeks, September 10th. And Desert Book and Siegel Book just picked it up. and That's um, huge. It is great news. But it, you know, shares our journey. And I'm raw and real about, about our journey and getting to where we are. And as I was writing, there were times I, I'd send the chapter to Sean and he'd read it and said, oh, that's really good, Mom, but it's not quite how I remember it. Like you responded, you said that this way or this way. And I, oh, was I really that bad? Yeah, Mom, you were. And you need to, you need to, to, to share that. People know the ending, Mom. <laughs> so help them get to, you know, what, take them through what you went through to get there. Um, so it's really raw. And Tell our listeners just the name of the book. The book is called Love Boldly. Embracing your LGBTQ loved ones and your faith. Love yeah. that title, and it's available. Uh, we're recording this in late August. I think this podcast will be released in September, but it's available on Amazon, um, Desert Books, Siegel Book. Um, that's any other yeah, places. Barnes and Noble, um, Costco. possibly, yeah, Costco. So, this yeah, that's what I know this about is a so big far. Deal, yeah. I, I hope like it gets it in the hands team, of... It sounds like it was a it, team effort. It is. So you didn't um, just isolate yourself for eight months and write this book. It sounds oh, like... No. She did. It's been, she did. Yeah, she did. <laughs> but it sounds like Scott and Sean it's are It's been a involved. long journey. Our yes. efforts were very minimal. <laughs> well, she did. And Sean wrote, Sean wrote the, the prologue. It's, it's his journey, begins the book, and then it's the introduction, and then it's the chapters, and then Scott's story is the epilogue at the end. And his chapter is called um, Becoming the Parent My Child Needs. What a great and, title. Yeah. So. Why did you decide, to, well, keep talking about the family situation if you want to, as you watch your son and your husband yeah. sort of navigating this and you navigating, and then a, maybe a little bit on why you decided to write a book. Well, at the beginning, so I, I came around a lot quicker than Scott did about this wasn't a choice. I knew he didn't choose it, but still, I was certain that he would still choose to cling to that iron rod and stay in the gospel, even if he had these feelings. And, and so that's where I was coming from. So I was, I was sending him articles and scriptures and things to read to keep him, you know, strong. And, and, um, and he said to me one day, Mom, I read everything that you send to me. And I've asked you to read one thing, and you haven't read it. And he had asked me to read Carolyn Pearson's book, No More Goodbyes, Circling the Wagons, No More Goodbyes. And I had, I had started to read that, and it was a tough read. Like, I was just, just bawled my eyes out. And so I had tucked it under my, my bed. And this had been two years, too, when he was coming home for Christmas, when he said, Mom, I've, I've asked you to read one thing, and you haven't read it. I thought, oh, okay. Got to dig that book out and read it before he gets home, comes back again. So I can say, yeah, I read it and then have a discussion. And it was while I was reading that book in the first part are all these story after story after story of these 
LGBTQ that finally had the courage to come out to their parents. And, and these were Latter-day Saint parents. And they finally had the courage, and then the parents were showing them the door and booting them out. And I just couldn't imagine that, turning my, my back on my son or daughter. That just did not sit well. And then there were all these stories of um, coming out and the, and the, the parents um, feeling they had to choose between their, their faith and the, the, the staying in the church of their child. So they were choosing, well, I'm choosing my child. I'm not turning back my child. And these parents or whole families were leaving the church. And I thought, I can't do that. I couldn't imagine my life without my son or the gospel. And it was at that time where I just had this strong impression come over me that I needed to come out of my own closet as a Latter-day Saint mother with a gay son and talk about it in a positive light and that I was embracing both. And to me, I felt like if I didn't love and embrace and include my son, I wasn't living the gospel. To me, the gospel was love and families and keeping your family together. And so I, I had this thought that when Sean came home for Christmas, that we could make this video kind of a coming out video. And I had a, a, um, a blog at that time called Becky Mac's blog of mild chaos. And I thought I'll write a blog post and the video, but first I had to run it by Sean to see if he was even open to that. And he at that time was um, doing an internship in Thailand and we were Skyping and I told him that I was reading the book and about this strong impression that I had to come out and to talk about it openly. And I said, so Sean, when you come home for Christmas, what if we make this video? And I don't know when we'll put it out there, but let's just do it. That's the only time we see you. So let's just create it. And then when it feels right, we'll put it out. And he was just kind of quiet for a minute. And he said, wow, mom, that would really be putting me out there. But I can see how that could help a lot of people. Let's do it. And so when he came home for Christmas, um, our other daughter, she graduated in film and TV productions. We said, bring your, your camera and your microphones and, you know, we'll, we'll make this video. And um, so one night at 1030, she said, Mom, I head back home tomorrow morning. Are we going to make that video? So it was 1030 at night and we set up the, the camera and the lights and, and we just started talking. We hadn't talked about it before, what we were going to say, but we just... We just started talking, and then our daughter edited it down to about five, six minutes. And it just felt right. It felt like this was the time to put it out there. Wrote the blog post. It was called A Very Real Matter, Same-Sex Attraction. And um, we put it out there two years to the very day that he had come out to us. It was January 9th. He came out to us in 2012, and the video and the blog post went out at 2014 on January 9th. I posted it to Facebook and Twitter um, late at night and went to bed and woke up the next day and to hundreds of shares and wow. comments and people reaching out to both Sean and I and um, people coming out to us, and and it was kind of overwhelming. I didn't expect that. I... I didn't know what to expect, um, but I didn't expect that much positivity, but it, it was really great. Um, Scott was nervous about it. Sure. Um, that night when he, he knew I was 
I'm going to make it public. Um, and beforehand, um, we I met with our bishop and our stake president because I, I wanted them to know that that I was going to be public. And I had them watch the video and read the blog post and because I didn't know how people were going to respond. And I said, you might get people reaching out and saying, what is Sister McIntosh talking about? She shouldn't be talking about this. Keep an eye on her. She's on this slippery slope. Because um, I have been the primary president and the young woman's president and the stake young woman's president. And at the time, I was you know, teaching seminary. And, and um, so I didn't know how the response was going to be. But I felt strongly that I needed to be public about this and talk about it. Scott was very supportive in me being public about it and speaking, but he said to me the night before, this is your deal. I'm not talking about this. <laughs> this is your deal. And then to the following day, he was having fathers reach out to him, thinking he was much further down the road <laughs> in, in his acceptance and wondering how he got there. And so that helped him to see, wow, there are a lot of people that are trying to navigate this, and he could see the positivity in helping others, and that kind of sped up his his progress too. Right? Yeah, she. Uh, I called her from work because I told her I, she said she was going to push the button that morning, and I was like, "Okay, oh. this is your deal. This isn't the road I'm going down. I uh, this, this is going to open up a lot of things for you, but it's yeah, I not that's not me." And anyway, I was at work, and I saw. I started getting the calls. I started getting the messages from people. I had one father uh, reach out to me and, and just tell me a heartbreaking story. It was a guy that I knew th from the wrestling world. He uh, um, just a good friend, and both of us are these macho man wrestlers, right? And uh, and he told me that his son had come out to him at the dinner table four years earlier, and he told him to get up and get away from his table and never wanted to see, uh, talk to him again. And, wow. and it was four years later, and he still hadn't said a word to him since then. Wow. And he said, I can see that you're doing something different. And he says, I need to make some changes. And so we came up with a little plan. I told, told him, I says, you need to, I said, do you have his phone number? And he says, yeah. He lived out of state. His son had left and went out of state. And he says, uh, I do. And I says, well, send him a text. Just send him a text that just says, I love you. Wow. He says, yeah, he says, I can do that. He says, uh, he wants to come this summer. He says, I've, I've heard mention that he wants to come home for the, you know, for a couple, uh, for a week during the summer. He says, but he wants to bring his friend. And he says, I, I, I need to tell him that I love him, but he, if he, but he can't bring his friend and whoa, 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 just a sec here. I says, no, we're not going to add any buts to this. We're just going to say, I love you. That's it. We're not going to put any conditions on any of this. And he, uh, he says, Wow. He's, I can do that, you know, and I said, okay. So anyway, he, uh, he sent that text, but when I hung up that phone, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not the only crazy person, you know, and, uh, and he's a great guy too. So don't get me wrong. He's a really good man. Um, but we just get a little carried away as fathers sometimes. And, and I thought there's gotta be a lot of kids. I, I didn't think of his pain anymore. I only went to his son and, and where he was at. And I, and I thought we can't have these kids feeling like they're neglected and pushed away out of their homes. And so I, uh, yeah, I, I called Becky and asked her if she would tag me in her post. That was the bravest thing I could come up with. I'm impressed you knew it. It yeah. meant to be tagged in a post, Scott. <laughs> I did. I said, well, you tag me in your post. And she uh, didn't say it as nice as I'm going to say it now, but she just told me that I should 
um, creating create my own post. You know, she hung up on me. She she uh, <laughs> thought that was really gutless that I wouldn't uh, that I just wanted to be tagged because that would look more gentle. That way, she did it. And if anybody says anything to me, I can say, "Well, my wife tagged me in that." You know, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, I wrote my own post and and put it out there. And I just saw it, that momentum. That video that they did was just it just changed lives. Did you tell what the title of that video was? I did. Was okay. So. Like kind of put us on our way of being open and and people following us and which kind of led to you know our, our story then on the the church website and then and then creating a book. And that's one of the things that's so helpful for me. And I I don't even have any kids in the space, but I just was looking for role model parents of how you navigate this and and the principles that you taught in your family. And your personal story was just foundational for me. And so that it's maybe it doesn't surprise me how many people reached out because they're looking for examples of how to navigate this and their core hearts want to do the right thing. I'm thinking about your wrestling friend, dad, who felt on some level he was doing the right thing by dismissing his son, but his core knew that didn't feel right to him. And he right. was looking for someone like you. Yeah, he was standing up for righteousness, right? Yeah, you but know, he this was is looking not for be something own. from yeah. you, a trusted friend, um, to know how to navigate this. And that's why your video, I think, has helped hundreds and hundreds of families stay together. Um, Sean, did you anticipate your family? This is like another 180 degree. I don't, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't put them back to the original spot, but now they're public with the family story. Did you see that coming? No. How did that make you feel? I mean, not obviously not initially. Um, if you had told me that they would be advocating and, and helping the LGBT community when I came out, uh, there's no way that I would have thought that. Um, and so just a couple years later and they're um, and making posts like this or communicating with people who are reaching out to them and trying to help them navigate the space um, really meant a lot to me because... I knew that that's something that was needed and it became very obvious that it was something that was needed by how much response we got. Um, people coming out to me from all over the world. I had, I was messaging probably at least 10 people a week in regular communication with them. And with coming from a social work background, I, I thoroughly enjoy that type of communication and, and, and listening to people is mainly what I was trying to do. I didn't want to tell people how to do it because it's different for each individual but I wanted to be there to listen to them and that's what they were doing as well they were helping all these people and so I felt like it just it almost gave people the okay to 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 love people as as weird as that sounds it almost felt like it just gave people this example of the okay like okay that's that's a great way to do it and, and it's working um and so for us it it did how was your emotional health? Did it change as your parents did this 180 and then this other? I don't know if you can measure emotional health numerically on a one to 10 scale. Just share with our listeners, I'm assuming an improvement of your emotional health as your family um, made progress in this and you felt that you could belong to your family knowing that and they knew this about you and loved you. Yeah. I mean, as a teenager, I was, there was points where I was suicidal. It's honest. Um, because I I couldn't see myself ever coming to reality with this. And so I felt like that was my only option. Um, also, the doctrine along the lines that you're, you hear that, um, that it's only a trial of this life and that it'll be, it'll be gone, that almost sounded good to me at that point. Um, it, 
because I've done everything that I could to get rid of it. I had prayed, I'd fasted, I'd done all those things I mentioned, and they weren't working. And so when I hear the the line, well, it, it's just a trial of this life, it, it almost sounded like a checkout to me. And so I'm very grateful that I'm even here today. So suicide is a way to sort of final, a final ace in the hole or whatever that terminology is to be straight through yeah. dying by suicide. So you're straight in the next life and this is taken from you. Yes. And so that was my thinking then. And I, I'm so glad that I didn't, I didn't go through with that because watching my family come around to loving and accepting me for, for my, who I was, um, was amazing. Um, I, I was no longer scared to talk to them about things and not even just me being gay, but we were just so much more honest, our family, and uh, uh, just up front with each other. And I felt like we just bonded so much closer in so many different ways that I honestly feel like it brought us much closer than we ever were before. Um, and and so I'm really thankful for that as well. Um, talk about, I have a question for Scott that I wrote down earlier. Um, this is a leading question, but how you've been a YSA bishop. I think you recently be re- been released. Thanks for your service for both of you. Oh, thank you. But how did Sean help you be a better YSA bishop? Oh, you know, it's funny that you say that because... I, uh, I'm assuming he did. Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> night and day. So I uh, I went into this thinking I was so excited to be a bishop, which is the worst thing to anybody think. Nobody wants to be a bishop. <laughs> but I was excited about it because I was a new man. Um, they were getting the new the new version, and and had I been called before, and you would have asked me then, you know, hey, how do you feel about your life and where it is, and and what kind of bishop you'll be? I would have said, hey, I'll I'll be a fine bishop, you know, but if somebody would have come out to me, oh, I know, I would have done all the wrong things. I, I would have just done all the wrong things, sent them the wrong places, you know, the mental health stuff. I would have just gone down that road so fast. And uh, let's get them in counseling. Let's let's uh, let's fix them. And so being through what I learned with Sean and knowing that it wasn't a choice and knowing that there's one in 20. Sean taught me that there was he said one in 10 originally, but I've heard studies that it's uh, about one in 20 uh, people um, have some kind of. uh, What's the word on the spectrum on the spectrum? spectrum. Okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, of, uh, of, of LGBTQ. And so if there's that many, that means that in my ward of 160 people, that there's several. And, and in our primaries on Sundays of 150 children, there's several. And, and the things we say matter. They, they hear those things. And that's what Sean brought to the top, to the surface, the awareness, that I can't say things that are there. People are sitting in that audience because I thought of all the things that he'd heard over his years. And when I sat in church now, I heard those things because I was aware. And I thought, oh, my gosh, what of all these poor kids that are listening to this that don't really understand where they're at or how this affects them? But they're hearing that. That stood out to them, what they just heard. And so there's some really mean things that are said that unintentional. And I just I was so glad that that was not going to be me as a bishop, that I wasn't going to say those things that were just wrong. And and I, uh, I had some amazing moments. I. I because of the video um, the, that we had. The we, video was out before you were no, called as YSA bishop. Well, you were a bishop when it came out. I was out. a bishop when it came out. But um, as as we got new people, we you know, that's the funnest thing about BYU bishop is you get 
you know, you have 160 people in your ward and, and every fall you get 100 new ones and the other 100 leave and you're just <laughs> learning names again. But we'd always have this introduction day and I would, uh, Becky would play the video. And, and cool. she would tell the story. She says, this is who we are. This is what we do. And, and if you are in this situation, talk to your bishop and, and talk to him. He, he understands. And, and I had um, one sister come out to me before. She was the very first one ever. I'll never forget that. And the video wasn't out at the time. She hadn't seen that side of it. She just, we'd talked about it. It was an open discussion. And so she came in and talked to me and, and told me that this was what she was dealing with. And I had made a... Uh, I packed with myself, was that the word? Uh, I made a decision that no matter who came out to me, no matter where we were in that process of them telling me, as soon as I understood exactly what they were meaning, that they were telling me that, that the discussion would just stop for a moment. It would pause for a moment while I stood up and walked over and, and gave them a hug. Oh. That's cool. Yeah, Seems I'm gonna get like emotional that. again. Dang it, I hate this. So, um, but I did, and I, I just stopped. She told me, and I just says, can I give you a hug? And she says, oh, my gosh, yeah. So I got up, and I walked over, and I gave her this hug. And I'll, I'll never forget uh, having her feel safe, that, that feeling of her feeling safe with me and just hugging me and just melting. I mean, it just a melting. It was a spirit-to-spirit connection of melting in my arms like she finally had somebody she could talk to that wasn't, you know, wasn't going to judge her, wasn't going to be scary, uh, excuse me, scary. And, and from then on, every person that came out to me, um, we had that experience. I always just stopped the conversation, went over and gave them a hug. And it was always such a beautiful thing. Um, they just felt loved. And people are just, oh, yeah, it, it, it's just such an amazing thing when they feel love. And, and, and it feels so good on my end to offer that. And so, yeah, because of Sean and because of this experience, there were many in my BYU ward that had a better experience with their bishop than they often sometimes do um, because of that. And I'll never regret any of that. It, it was amazing. Did you find the straight people of your ward, it was easier for them to talk to you because you were so kind to LGBTQ people? I worry. They just, for both of you, they said, well, if they can love LGBT people, they can love me. And I know I can talk to Bishop McIntosh about this part of my life that I've really never talked to anybody about. I, I worry that they thought, uh, you know, they might think I'm a little crazy. I'm a little over the top and all that. Um, but our ward was so kind. They, they look to their leadership and they follow. And, and because... Um, my counselors had both had situations in the LGBT world as well. Um, we were all on board. We were all so, as a bishop, in sync with um, being, showing kindness, love, and inclusion that it just spread through the ward. I, I didn't ever hear anything, ever, negative. In the four years we were there, I never, never heard anything um, that was degrading or negative. They always just followed that lead and were just as kind as anybody else. And people were out to the ward. Um, they would come out to the ward and, and, and everybody was just so loving and so kind. That's awesome. Cause I, I know when I started just post a couple kind things on social media about LGBTQ, I didn't have any more come out to me, but the, many of the straight members of the ward sort of came out to me with difficult things that they finally said, okay, I can talk to this guy. Right. Um, no, you're safe. I know I'm safe, even though it's not an LGBTQ mm -hmm. thing. And I thought that's a great principle of ministering 
if you want to communicate you're a safe adult or a safe trusted parent or leader is to say kind things about people. Becky, your thoughts on your senior on anywhere you want to go with this at this point. But I just want to compliment Sean. I don't know how cool this feels to you to recognize the lives you've blessed in your parents' YSA ward because of who you are, Sean, and what you've taught the McIntosh family and now um, the church, me, um, the YSA ward. How does that make you feel? I mean, I guess I don't really think of it that way. You but should. I, <laughs> but I mean, I, I really appreciate that. And I I wanted to be open as I could with this. And I still continue to be as open as I can with it because I don't want people to feel ostracized or outside. And they don't they don't need to be outside. They, they need to feel loved. And so I, I try to advocate whenever I can. So when I see that my parents are doing it as well, it, it means the world to me. And I get emotional all the time and I'm a crier with these issues, but it, it does. It means so much to me to, to have people message me and say, your mom is amazing. Your dad is incredible. They helped me so much with this. Thank you so much for your family. Like these, these things do mean a lot to me, but obviously that that's not why we are doing this whatsoever. I just, it's just good to help people because I, I've been there. Yeah. Thank you. Becky, your thoughts at this point, the podcast or the story. First, I want to thank you, Richard, for for starting this podcast and the, all the lives that you have, have taught. I, I'm grateful for not only Sean, but all seven of my children and their unique personalities and, and the things that they have, have taught me, how high I've grown as a mother. My biggest life lessons have come through my children and so grateful for, for Sean and, and helping me to be a better person and a better, kinder mother. Um, and grateful that he and my, my children are, are okay about being, being open. Um, grateful for that. I'm grateful to my Heavenly Father for um, trusting us to be able to, to share our story and, and hoping that it will touch hearts and reunite families and strengthen families and, and bring families closer together. That's my whole why behind this is to um, strengthen those relationships. Talk about in the video that I remember the words, um, some of the language you used, Sean, to your mom was, I'm not sure I can marry a woman. And it sort of opened the door in the video to um, you dating men. Um, I think some of the wording you use, Scott, was that's not exactly the plan. Yeah, that's not <laughs> what we taught. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you use some wording, Becky, where you know everybody and anybody is going to be welcome in our home, mm -hmm. and we're going to leave this at the Savior's feet. So those are some of the words I've yeah. that are hardwired into my brain as you mm -hmm. talked about. Just talk about. You know, I think most parents having an LGBTQ child want them to hold on to that ride, iron rod and stay, and and many do. Um, in this case, Sean felt like he just couldn't marry a woman and felt like he needed a companionship. Uh, just does anybody want to start and how you navigate that as a family and how you, because you're both, you know, we're all believers in the covenant path and Sean's, you know, on a different path now. And so how do you navigate that? Becky, do you want to start? Yeah. Well, the first time I had that conversation with Sean, it was when the same-sex marriage became legal here in Utah. 
before it was legal nationwide. And he was a, a student over at BYU. And it was about two days after the legalization that I got a text from him that said, Mom, you really hurt me. I thought, what have I done? This is not a conversation for a text. So I called him and I said, what? What have I done? And he said, it's legal to be married in Utah. And you, neither you or dad reached out to congratulate me. And I thought, oh, I'm sorry. That didn't even cross my mind. And he said, Mom, you know, I want to get married one day. And I can't marry a woman. I know I, I, I know I can't marry a woman. We'd had that discussion before, too, the very first night he came out um, when I brought up the examples of those that I knew that were public and married to a woman. He said, Mom, I've, I've dated girls. I've held their hand. I've kissed girls. It makes me want to throw up. I can't do that. <laughs> I know that's not going to happen. Um, and at that time, he had said, I've, I've never held a guy's hand and I've never kissed a guy, Mom, but I know I'm attracted to guys. Okay, speed up two years. I'm still thinking, eh, possibility. Um, and he said, Mom, I want to get married one day and I want my family to be there. Now that it's legal in Utah, makes that a possibility. My family can be there and I don't want it to feel like a funeral. I want my family to generally be happy for me. And um, I cried and I, oh, you got to be patient with me as I'm trying to process this. And, and we cried together on the phone and, and talked about it. And so that was the beginning of planting that, that seed. Like, this could really be a possibility. It, it, it's legal. And I know he wants to, to get married, and this could be a possibility. He still hadn't started dating yet at that time. Don't think that came. No, I. I, I did, that's when I. I remember. That's when I was dating. We were dating. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was a few um, years after I had come out to you. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but that that began the price process, and um, yeah, the first time that he wanted to bring someone home that he had dated to meet the family, that was kind of a, a shock and a little bit of anxiety. Like, what's that going to feel like? What that? What's that going to look like? And um, and when we met that person. He was just as wonderful and kind and amazing as our son, um, which made it, yeah, I don't know what I was expecting, <laughs> but it was a, a positive thing. But it was, it was a journey for our family. There was a little bit of division there for a while as, as different family members had to, had to figure out how they were going to navigate this too with, with young children that they were raising and what this was going to look like. Um, yeah. What sort of foundational doctrinal principles apply? Did you go to stories in the scriptures, teachings of Christ to sort of navigate this space as your son's choosing a path outside of what you'd hoped for outside the doctrine of our church, either you or Scott? Any thoughts on how, you, you know, just foundational principles? You said this is what we're going to use here to apply to our family, to keep our family together. Yeah. Well, every time something new would come up that like another hurdle um, we'd have to navigate. I would always just drop to my knees, like, how how am I supposed to respond? How are we, how am I, you know, how do we get through this? How do I react? And the spirit was always just so quick and so strong just to remind me, you just, just love. I told you that on day one, (laughs) but I'll keep telling you, you know, you just, just love, love Sean, love him, love him. 
And um, I always had a question that, like, it, it took me a while to really figure out what loving without conditions meant. Like, I knew I was to love, but I was always putting conditions. And when I would let go of those conditions, that's when peace would come to me. That's when I would feel closer to my Savior, Heavenly Father. I could feel, I felt the Spirit more as I would open my heart and truly love my Son. Um, as far as the, the scripture stories, I just, as I study the scriptures, it began, began to be more real of how every, every parent in the scripture navigated something similar that kind of, um, shook, you know, kind of shook things up or, or there was some distancing and they'd have to, to pull together, to, to work together, to, to, you know, unite their family again, just over and over, beginning with, you know, Adam and Eve, um, who had a, a child that murdered <laughs> their, right. a, a son, you know, um, and how every family and how the ones that were able to work together and become closer were those that, that turned to God and, and, you know, sought to, to understand and to work together. And, and I just used those prin same principles in our family, and like, wow, it really does work when you turn to God, lay it on the Savior's feet, and be kind and loving, and continue to, you know, reach out and instead of putting up walls. Any thoughts on this, Scott? You've got a son now that's out as gay, and now, um, you know, in a same-sex marriage. Just how you navigate that as a father? Well, I uh, I had so many people that told me, well, you got to stand up for the doctrine. The church teaches that this is an abomination and, and all these things. And, uh, and you know, you got to be the, the person like all these prophets that stood up and said, you know, you know, you need to repent. You need to do this. You need to. And I'm like, uh, that's just not, that's not, doesn't feel right. It just didn't feel right to be this, uh, you know, this whip, you know, smacker guy. You know, I just needed to uh, just look at the, what's the basics of the gospel? And to look at the scriptures, the, the two greatest commandments is to love God and, and love our neighbor or, or love our brother or, you know, just love those around us. And I thought, okay, um, everything rests on those two. So if I can do a better job of those two, then everything else will just kind of fall into place. And since I've taken that uh, concept and, and worked on that, everything has just made sense. Uh, I can't think of anybody that ever came back to the gospel because they were shunned. I can't think of anybody that ever came back because they were told they were terrible and that they needed to repent and change and, and somebody yelled at them. That's not what changes hearts. The gospel changes hearts through love through filling the spirit. We need to have the spirit in our home and it's never there with contention. Every time I would get angry on our conversations with Sean, he would, oddly enough, he was the one that was having to bring the spirit back because I would drive it away. And, and by keeping it calm, that's where the spirit can teach. So we're basically looking at, at things a lot different now. Uh, the biggest the biggest thing that's come out of that, um, that understanding is, is somebody that was taught to us, a principal that was taught to us by a dear friend about life's a school. We always hear that life's a test, that we're going to come here, get a body, and get it, have a test. That's, that's what uh, always the answer is, why we come to earth. But we're here to go to school. Uh, the the test, classroom. The classroom, yeah. We're just here to, to learn. And, and, and I don't know about you. I know about me that most of my decisions that weren't the greatest decisions probably led to my most experience and better understanding. And so I learned the most from, from things that I probably didn't 
do the right thing, didn't go down the right path, didn't make the most correct decision or whatever. And I know that all of us need to learn and be here in school. When Sean talked about uh, suicide, that's checking out of school. That's leaving school early. Why would you leave until you got your whole education? Your whole education is your lifetime, no matter how long that life is. You know, God, God let's put it back in his hand. Let him determine our, our life experience. But if we learn from that, if we just take every day, every choice we make, every decision we make, and we learn from it and become better, we don't want anybody to check out of school early. We want everybody to have that experience. And so, um, and we, we give everybody their agency. God gave us our agency, but we don't want to give our children their agency. We want to keep taking it away from them because for some reason, Satan's plan seems a lot better for our family, right? If we're leading, let's force them. Let's make them do what they need to do. And we don't, I just don't believe that. I, I believe that we just continue to love, that Christ loved, and he put his arm around people, and people wanted to be better because of his love. And I think all of us um, can learn a lot from that and, and not judge, to not look at somebody else and where they're at and what they're doing and, and, and have any judgment at all. Just realize that this is their very best way that they figure they can get their education. And if they can get their education from this, they're going to make their own choices and they're going to make their decisions. And it's not up to me. I'm not getting judged on anybody else's choices. I'm not getting judged on what Sean's doing, what Becky's doing, or any of my other kids. I'm getting judged on how I react to what they're doing. And and in that situation, I, I've said oftentimes that, you know, Heavenly Father doesn't make mistakes. He, he's allowed us to have LGBTQ in our world for a reason. He didn't make a mistake. And, and so now it's up to us to figure out what we can do to, to live with that and to be our best ourselves. That I don't think that they, he allowed this in their lives to change them as much as it was to change us. And, and how we react and how, what kind of kindness we show. And, and so it's not up to me. I, I, just, I just let people be who they are, and I just continue to love. And, and it's just been the most simple, easy way to do it. I know it sounds too easy, but that just, that's what works. That's great. Sean, talk about just what it's like to be faced with 60 years of being alone. Um, I'm sure you thought pretty hard about your decisions, um, the three roads once you ruled out suicide, that left you three roads, mm-hmm. <laughs> celibate, mixed orientation marriage, or same-sex marriage. And I'm sure knowing you and what your parents have said about you, are pretty thoughtful. Just share with our listeners just what that looks like. And this isn't an attempt to, to sort of invite people to follow your path. It's an attempt to create empathy for how hard your path is as you're, you're 31 now and just why you felt this is the right path for you. Yeah, so... I mean, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, family is the center of all of that. And so it's quite hard for an LGBT individual in that environment because they feel like everything is taught to based upon building a family someday, um, except for you. And so it's almost... Like you're expected to continue to keep coming to church and you're taught all these things, but except for you. 
um, but no one knows that. It's all all internal for you yourself, and so it, it's it's good and it's uplifting, but then it's also very damaging at the same time, because there's nothing that I wanted more than to have a family, because I I loved my family so much. I loved spending time with my siblings and my parents, and so when I'm being taught that that's what I should be able to have, but that wasn't a possibility for me. It, it's very frustrating and hard on an individual. Um, and so for me, it's just, that's something that I needed. I needed that love and companionship and someone to come home to. And I wanted to raise kids of my own and, and just experience all that life. Um, because I feel like for me, looking at this life as a test, I felt like if I was just remaining celibate and doing the same thing, I was, I wasn't taking the test. I was just sitting there with my pencil down. And I felt like I needed to take the test to be able to figure out life. And taking the test for me was doing what everyone else was doing, which was what I wanted, which was having a family, getting married and doing these things. And so that, that's how I came to that conclusion. And that's how I feel like I've learned and grown the most. There was many years when I had the pencil down and I was just trying to, to live. That was just all I could do. Um, but now that I've done these things, I feel like I'm progressing and I'm so much happier. And, and I'm not here to tell anyone what's right and wrong for them. This is just my experience and what was necessary for me. And, and I'm so happy in my current situation. Talk about the role of God in your life as you've worked, moved forward in your life. Um, so just background one, I felt really impressed to ask you to offer the prayer and you didn't hesitate. It just came so natural for you. I quickly picked up, you have a wonderful relationship with God and, and I'm really happy about that. Yeah. I think that's a question that, or a, a misconception, not that you think this, but many people think that you can't, um, be gay and also have a relationship with God or be Christian or even LDS or Mormon. Um, and it's simply not the case. Um, I feel like if anything, it's strengthened my relationship with God so much because I was alone throughout so much of this. And one person that I could talk to about it was my heavenly father. And so talking to him, it, it was, it was my voice. And so I, that's something that I just did for many, many, many years and it hasn't stopped. Um, I, I don't attend church any longer, um, but that has not affected my relationship with my Heavenly Father is how I feel personally. Um, and with my husband as well, Carson, um, we still very much believe in our Heavenly Father and, and, and we love him and we pray and we do all those same things as well. Um, like I said, we may not go to church, but our relationship, I feel like, has never wavered, um, and my relationship has never wavered with my my heavenly Father. Do you think He continues to guide you? Do you think He helped you find Carson? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I still feel His His guidance. I still feel the Spirit, um, and and I still feel hope and and all these things that we should be feeling that that help guide us through this life. And and yeah, I I don't feel like that has changed. Um, it's not always easy, but I, I definitely feel his his love in my life, and I'm so thankful for that. And and I just want people to know that you you certainly can have both. You can continue to have your relationship with your heavenly Father, 
Um, that's not something that has to be black and white. Um, thanks for answering those questions. I mean, I sort of pragmatically think, well, there's lots of ways to live life off the covenant path. And I went to our high school reunion and Dave Sisom isn't there anymore. He went to San Francisco and died of AIDS and there wasn't much of a path for him. And I didn't know how to treat him in high school. I have regrets about that. And then I look at you and I look at just the, the doors that are open to you and you going pretty slow and there's lots of ways to do life off the covenant path but have a family that has wrapped their arms around you and a relationship with Heavenly Father, in my mind, you're going to make really good decisions in your life. And, and I'm glad that you've got a husband and can share life with and it sounds like someone that's an equal to you. Sometimes I see people in same-sex relationships and because it's so hard to find a partner and they often are not in very healthy ones. So I think from a pragmatic standpoint, if I were your parent, I'd pray that you would find, if that's the road you're going to choose, someone that really lifts you. And it's one plus one equals three that brings out the best in you and is a really healthy relationship. It's kind of hard to talk about anything off the covenant path, but on a pragmatic way, you'd want everybody to make the very best decisions they could. And it seems like you are and your family support. Any thoughts on that from the parents? No, I've... I've learned to just accept the reality of my situation. And that's how I've explained it to, to people. Um, when I said that he got, that our son got engaged and, and getting married, um, I can see some, sometimes people's eyes widen. <laughs> and I said, this, this is why, this is my reality. Like they're shocked that I say fiance or boyfriend or husband, like, this is the, this is reality. And why, you know, sweep it under the rug or, you know, call it something else. This is, this is our, this is reality. And, um, grateful for that. I don't know where I was going with that. So sorry. (laughs) One of the character attributes of this family is you're open and honest and authentic and vulnerable. And I think people are looking for examples. All three of you are doing this and have done that. And I think it's very, very helpful. It takes a lot of courage. I'm going to read what I was scrolling both of your Facebook pages today, at least the parents. Um, I'm going to read. This is what Scott wrote on August 22nd, um, or I printed out on 22nd. It's probably a little old, a few days old. Yesterday, my son married his partner. It was a beautiful setting in the high mountains. They were surrounded by roughly 130 friends and family. Last evening was the reception. It was a house, a full house with hundreds of guests. Several years ago on another discussion between my son, my wife, Becky, he mentioned he wanted to get married someday and court rulings had just made that possible. He wanted his family there and didn't want them to feel like it was a funeral. Yesterday was a beautiful day. Many, all capital letters, people attended. Some were there about gay marriage. Some we're all about gay We're all about gay marriage. Thank you, Scott. Some were still collecting their thoughts in it, while others felt uncomfortable with it. Nevertheless, they all, capital letters, showed up. It had little to do with politics or moral values. That had everything, all caps, to do with being there for family and friends. This will be a day for Sean and Carson to always remember. It will be a day for a book, for the books. It was a day that didn't have any overtones of a funeral. It was a day of kindness, consideration, and love. Hashtags. Look at the hashtags that Scott kicked out. 
Way to go, Dad. Hashtag family. Hashtag no judgment. Hashtag um, we're not to judge. Hashtag love boldly, the title of your book. Hashtag love and hashtag love one another. And I just thought that was a great post. I don't know if you've read that, Sean. Yeah. How did that make you feel? I mean, uh, amazing. And it's probably the whole wedding experience. That didn't surprise you. No. That seems like consistent with the message you were getting for a long time. Yeah. I mean, like I said, years ago, that would have blown my mind. Um, but it was. It was an amazing day. Um, it was the, probably the happiest day I've ever felt. Um, and having all my, my family there and my parents there by my side and and just the joy that was felt in celebrating my love was amazing. Um, and so I, I'm very grateful for that. And just to see how many people commented on that and loved that and, and just showing the support that is continually poured out um, means a lot to me. But it also means so much to the youth, the people who didn't didn't have this space that we are starting to build now. And I just feel like so many lives were lost. And I, I'm so grateful that those kids and people and families are now seeing these types of things and hopefully coming to better conclusions so that those lives aren't lost. Have you felt your parents should leave the church to support you? No. Why? Because I know how much happiness and, and peace and, and good it brings to their lives. And that that's not something that I would want to take away from them at all. Um, it It's something that is just so important to them. And, and just like me, it wouldn't, why would I want, they're not trying to change who I am. It, it's completely not up to me to try to change who they are, nor, nor would I want to. Yeah. It's a really great mature answer. I've shared this story. I haven't shared it for a long time in the podcast, but my dad was a stake president in Salt Lake in about 1977. And I'm there's six siblings in the family, and my oldest brother was mission age and not going on a mission. And dad and mom were pretty torn up about it. And then he's straight, but then he started to go to other Christian churches. And one day on a Sunday afternoon, dad was at meetings all day. And then about five o'clock at night, he loaded us in the family station wagon. We all watched my brother get baptized into another Christian church. And it was the greatest parenting moment of anything they ever did for me as a parent, as teaching me about parenthood. And they could have insulated me from that. They could have uh, disowned my son. They could have been worried that I would have joined the same Christian church a month later. But they said what you said. This says nothing my older brother was going to do could take him outside of the circle of the family love. And they taught just what you taught, and they did just what you did. And, the the you know, my dad's 88, and he, in some ways he's in better health than I am. He plays golf every day. <laughs> and my brother's in his 60s, and he's never come back to the church, but they have a great relationship. We're in a family vacation together, and I just looked at the two of them talking together, and my mom's alive, and I just thought, those decisions that they made back in the 70s to keep family together have, have resulted in incredible blessings. Um, and I just feel Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother shining down on my parents' decisions, just like you have. And, and that someday on the other side of the veil, there'll be a big hug for the type of parents they are and the way they kept the family circled together. But the impact on me and my parenting style and skills because of their example. So I think what you're doing 
you know, it's opening up a new chapter. You're married now, Sean, your book's coming out. But I would think that, you know, and you've got a bunch of grandkids, but I would think if you could come back on the podcast 10 or 20 years, you will talk about the blessings to the Macintosh family and to your family, Sean, because of what's happened in these last five years. Any thoughts on any of that? I mean, I think that's amazing what your parents yeah. did, um, because like you said, that does have a huge, huge impact on that. And so that, that's really, really cool. Yeah, yeah. beautiful story. I, what just keeps coming back to my mind is no matter the, the question, the answer is always love. And I look at the pool of Bethesda painting over my, our shoulders here that's in our room that my wife, and I just look at that all the time because Christ is there with all the people that society said weren't worthy, and he's even pulling the tarp over someone who covered himself with the pool of Bethesda, and his left hand is pointing at that person. I just think, who is that person? What's my um, responsibilities as a Latter-day Saint to find them, to minister, to lift their burdens? And that's what you're doing and I know you're both very involved in helping LGBTQ people feel loved and accepted and helping families. And it's a great unofficial ministry that you all have. It's not, doesn't show up in your church record <laughs> as an official calling, but it's a wonderful ministry that you're all involved with. And Sean, you're part of that and what you're doing. And I can't imagine the messages you've gotten over the years from closeted LGBTQ LDS people. And someday I think you'll all there'll be a great understanding of the lives you've helped and the lives you've saved and the hope you've given to other people um, that you're not able to tell because they're closeted and their stories are private and you can't share those. But I have a feeling that you have helped more people than I will ever know for what you've done for closeted LGBTQ people and all of you've done for parents needing examples how to navigate this road. Um, tell us again how to get, tell us the name of the book, Becky, because we really want everyone to get a copy of your book and share it with everybody. So the book is called Love Boldly, Embracing Your LGBTQ Loved Ones and Your Faith. That's great. And I'm going to go to Desert Book or Sequel Book or Amazon. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I'm going to get that book. And I hope everybody reads it. Um, and I hope everybody shares it with other families and local leaders. Um, any, I'm just going to go around the table. We're going to let um, Sean have the last word. We'll start with Scott okay. and then Becky and then Sean. My, the, the, my dream, um, the thing that I would like to see, it, and I shared it often with uh, people in my ward who didn't feel like they could fit in the church anymore um, by coming out to me. Same story as Sean. There's so many of those sto stories that are similar. Uh, trying to figure out how they fit uh, into the church and the doctrine and its teachings, but have this strong feeling that if they're going to find love, it's not within the church. Um, I want everybody to know that everyone is welcome at church. My hope is that no matter where they are, whether they've been excommunicated, whether they are just not... Uh, due to the doctrine and the worthiness to be an elders quorum president, that they still show up. I want them in our pews every week. And I want them to feel love. I want them to help those in that meeting to change like I did. I would have never changed had it not been for putting me in that situation. I know that there's many that will never change until somebody shows up, sits down next to them, and lets them know that they are gay and that they're there to 
partake of the gospel, to um, feel their Savior's love through his people. And I hope it changes hearts, and I hope that they understand the importance of their voice being heard by showing up and still being there. If they loved being there before, they loved coming up through primary, young women's, young men's, and going on their mission and doing all those wonderful things, nothing changed that way. Just show up again and be there. That's that's what I, my hope is, to just continue to be there. They may not be the elders quorum president, but they could be the choir director, and they could be the service committee chair or whatever. They could still hold the calling and still be a part of our Savior's church. Uh, that's that's what I'd love to see. Love that, Scott. Thank you. Yeah. Amen to that. That was right in, in line with what I wanted to share, because I... I often tell people that our our chapels and our our churches should be bursting at the seam every Sunday because the people who enter those doors should feel so much love that they can't wait to come back the next Sunday and bring all their friends. So if we're not bursting at the seams, let's do better. Let's love more. Let's reach out to those that are feeling that they don't fit and are marginalized. Let's do better within our homes and in our communities and in our, our churches, no matter which religion you belong to. Let's let's do better and let's um, spread um, spread that love and kindness. And as I said in our original video that Sean and I did, and let's make this world a better place. That's awesome. <laughs> Sean? Um, I guess kind of my last two cents is I feel like where we've got so far was just from a lot of of patience with each other. And so I would challenge anyone who's listening, if, if you're having a hard time to be patient with your parents as they're trying to understand this, if you've came out to them, uh, parents be patient with your child and, and listen, um, really try to listen and empathize, not listen to try to change. Um, I feel like when both parties are doing that, we can, we can really get somewhere. Um, also, if anyone is having a hard time and you don't have anyone to talk to I like to let people know they're always welcome to talk to me because I I don't want anyone in that in that place in their head um, or in mental danger if, if you need someone please message me please reach out to me or my parents or, or there's so many people who love you um, in and outside of the church and I, and I just need people to know that that there is a place for them in this world that this is great yeah Thank you. Thank you, McIntosh family, for joining us on an episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler.